We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Good evening, everyone. Return, restore, and rebuild. Tonight is one of the nights that I've been looking forward to get to in our study of Ezra. Lord willing, we're going to be walking through the book of the rest of the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, where God is faithful to his people, even though they were not faithful to him. God is, for his own namesake, bringing Israel back into the land that he had given them. And we, uh, we stress that, Corey has and Chris will, and um, we, we want to stress the fact that Israel is not uh, brought back into their land because they decided to repent. There's not a great revival going on yet. It is just because God is faithful to his word. He had promised he would bring them after they were scattered, and God keeps his word. In a world today where a lot of people keep their word, uh, most of the time. Uh, in a world today where some people don't keep their word most of the time. In a world today where some people don't ever keep their word, uh, isn't it good to know that we have a constant, the father of lights. There's no variableness, one version says. No shadow of turning. In other words, God is not wishy-washy. He doesn't change his character from one day to the next. God keeps his word. And so we are here in the book of Ezra, the sixth chapter, and you know God has uh, brought the people back. There, there is always opposition. Right now, there's opposition to good things that happen in our country. Would you agree? There's opposition. That does not need to fear, make us fear. We need to hold fast to the good things that God allows to take place. There's a lot of good things in, in America. That's why a lot of people want to get here. And uh, the ministry that I, one of them that I'm responsible for, Legacy, this Friday evening, we're having a dinner and a celebration of the good old days of the USA. And I don't want everybody to think that that's just a long time ago because there's good days here in this wonderful country. Talk with somebody here before you leave tonight that didn't grow up here and, and let, them, uh, let, let them tell you about some of the good things that they can see. We hear a lot of the bad, don't we? We hear a lot of the bad news, and there is. And we need to be real about that pray for those things. But uh, we've had some good things happen the last few days here in our country, and we need to rejoice over that. We need to live like a Christian. We don't gloat. We don't uh, want to harm anybody, and, uh, but we want to thank God for the good things that have happened. The title of this is just, I called it a nation reborn, because Israel has been really off the path. They had gone astray. They had stopped doing the sacrifices and keeping the feast. They had rebelled against God. And God said, if you do that, I'm going to scatter you across the world. And he did. They've been scattered. Uh, Israel is, is taken over by the Assyrians, the Babylonians. Uh, the Medes and the Persians have a lot to do with uh, exile. But God, as I said, is faithful. He remembers his people. And there's a time when he says, now we're going to go back. We're going to return. We're going to restore and we're going to rebuild. And you know, over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at the, the work on the temple. The first thing you do is you get the temple right. You get the church right. In the old towns established in this country, the first thing they did was they built a church, a school, and a hospital. Uh, they, they wanted to get the things right. And that's what God is showing them to do here, build that temple. The opposition came and said, you need to stop that temple. And it looked like they got a foothold. Fifteen years they stopped the work. And we talked about that night 
What do we do when it looks like the wicked prosper? When it looks like the bad guys win? God tells us through his word, just, just be patient. Just be patient. We want God to operate on our timetable. Would you agree with that? Spend a little bit too long at one of these stoplights out here. And we, you know, we get real prayerful. Dear God, why is that, that light not turning green? It's longer than it used to be on red, and I want to go. And we're so impatient. I am. Uh, that person up there in line getting that fast food, they have been there longer than two minutes. I don't have time to wait for that. And, but God is so gracious, and he works on his timetable. We're going to see three great truths. There's a lot of these truths in this passage. But we're going to talk about three great truths tonight that you can leave here knowing for sure this is the God we serve. And I hope it'll be an encouragement to you. I welcome all of you here. Thankful for visitors that are here. Some of you go in the morning. Just, we're so glad. Staff that's here, God bless you. And those that are tuning in online, uh, we welcome you and we're thankful that you've joined us. A nation reborn. Can there be a rebirth of a nation? Can there be? There can, and God's doing it again for his people, Israel. Uh, have you ever heard somebody say, I love it when a plan comes together? Because we're going to witness that in just a moment. The Bible says in a great proverb, it says, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. And like rivers of water, he turns it whithersoever he will. I'm, I'm quoting the old version there. God can take the heart of a king, a Jewish king or a, a pagan king, and he can turn the heart or a president of the United States or a Supreme Court or uh, the leaders of any land, God can take those leaders and he can turn their hearts to do his will. There was a man named in the Old Testament named Pharaoh Nico. He was not a Jew and yet God used him to guide Josiah and to, to prophesy to tell him what he ought to do. So God can, can, uh, he can get his word across any way he wants to and we'll see that. Look with me there in the first part of that. Uh, Ezra 6.1, the king, then King Darius, you remember the Medes and the Persians now have taken over, uh, and I'll talk a little bit about that out of the book of Daniel in a moment. The King Darius issued a decree. This is the law of the land when a, a president passes it down, a king passes it down. Search was made in the archives where the treasures were stored in Babylon. In Ecbatana, in the fortress, which is in the province of Media, a scroll was found, and there was written in it as follows. So they go back to the legal documents, the government papers, and they were challenged, has there been any decree to let these Jews build this temple? We don't want them to build it, the opposition said. Go back in the archives and see what had been written before, and that's what they're doing. They're pulling out the government issued uh, statements that have been issued about the Jews. It is, it is it follows, memorandum. In the first year of King Cyrus, Cyrus the king issued a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem. Let the temple, the place where sacrifices are offered, be rebuilt and let its foundations be retained. Its height being 60 cubits, its width 60 cubits with three layers of huge stones, one layer of timbers. And let the cost be paid from the royal treasury. Can you imagine opening that book and, or those papers and reading that? The opposition was saying, we don't have any laws like that. We don't have any decrees to let these Jews build that temple. We need to stop them. And they go back in the papers and they open up and said, not only is the king's message, you let those Jews build their house of worship. 
We're going to pay for it. Can God turn the tables on the enemy? He can. I always think about Haman that wanted Mordecai to be killed. He wanted the Jews to be extinguished, the whole uh, race of the Jews. And God allowed him to be killed on his own gallows. Was there another madman that wanted to destroy all the Jews at one time? Uh, the Jews are still here and he is not. So God is able. And that's number one I want you to think about. God works in his time. He works his will in his time. They had to wait 15 years. And you may say, 15 years. Now, if you're a teenager and you're waiting for your driver's license, 15 years is an eternity. That is forever. But how many of us over 50, 15 years is not that long, is it? <laughs> they had to wait. God works in his time. Ecclesiastes 3, you remember that verse? He makes everything beautiful. You just sang some of it to us, Joel. He makes everything beautiful. In his time, in his time, when God chooses. Maybe you have something you're praying about for your family, your job, your health, your finances. Very uh, clearly in your life right now, you're seeking God about something. Surrender to the fact that he's working good in your life because we have a good God and he'll work in his time. Psalm 8411, God will withhold no good thing from them who walk uprightly. It's just in his time. So he says, yes, let them build that temple. Huge stones, layers of timbers, let the cost be paid from the royal treasury. Also, let the gold and silver utensils of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took from the temple in Jerusalem and brought to Babylon, be returned and brought to their places in the temple in Jerusalem. You shall put them in the house of God. I want you to take your finger just a second while if you hold your place here in Ezra. But would you look at a story with me real quickly, just part of it in the book of Daniel, the fifth chapter. If you would look in your Bibles, if you got them with you, look with me there in Daniel chapter five. Here in this part of it, it said, go get those gold and silver utensils. There's bowls, there's cups, things to eat and drink out of that were in the original temple. Nebuchadnezzar, when he had overthrown them in the Babylonian captivity, came and took all of those holy vessels out of the temple of God, and he took him back with him to Babylon. Let's see what his posterity is doing with those holy vessels. In Daniel chapter 5, Belshazzar the king, now this is the, the, the lineage of Nebuchadnezzar, son or grandson, held a great feast for a thousand of his nobles. When you have a party at your house, do you invite a thousand people? My goodness, that's a big party, isn't it? Feast for a thousand of his nobles. He was drinking wine in the presence of the thousand. When Belshazzar tasted the wine, he gave orders to bring. Now, he's already drinking some of the wine, and he remembers something. Now, this is a pagan. This is not a faithful person to God. He remembers he gave orders to bring the gold and silver vessels which Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem, so that the king, his nobles, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. He remembered, we've got those Jews' cups that were gold and silver in their temple. Go get them, and we're going to have this party, and we're going to get drunk using the Jewish vessels of their house of worship. Always remember, 
God will not be mocked. It may look like it for a time, but God is going to win in the end. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God, which was in Jerusalem. His king, his nobles, the wives, concubines drank from them. They drank the wine, praised the gods, little G-O-D-S, of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. They're having their orgy. They're having their party. They're having their uh, pagan ritualistic at the expense of God and his name. They've got the holy vessels that were in the temple of the Lord that had been dedicated, that had been consecrated for a holy purpose, and they're sinfully partying with them. But then something happened. Suddenly, the fingers of a man's hand emerged and began writing opposite the Latin stand. Now, if while I'm reading this to you, there's a hand that appears writing behind me, uh, I'm going to see your faces and I'm going to turn around and look. That's exactly what happened. They start seeing a hand that shows up, and that's where we get our phrase, the handwriting is on the wall. Fingers of a man's hand emerged, began writing opposite the lampstand on the pastor of the wall of the king's palace, and the king saw the back of the hand that did the writing. Then the king's face grew pale. You ever told somebody, you look white as a sheet? All the blood drained out of his face. And it says, his thoughts alarmed him, his hip joints were slack, and his knees began knocking together. Have you ever been so afraid of something your knees were knocking? This is a very literal, this man mocking God, and all of a sudden he sees a hand writing on the wall, and it scares him literally to death. He called a lot of his wise guys in the, the kingdom to come and try to interpret what happened, and they couldn't do that. Finally, they remember Daniel is there. Daniel's been given wisdom by God. And look at it half, if you jump over there to verse 25, the hand uh, wrote some words on the wall while this party was going on. And verse 25 says, Now this is the inscription that was written, Mene, Mene, Tico, you farson. This is the interpretation of the message. Mainly, God has numbered your kingdom and put an end to it. In other words, God says, brother, there's going to be an end to you. Secondly, Tico, you have been weighed on the scales and found deficient. Your life has been put on the scales of what God requires, and you are lacking. You don't measure up to what God requires. And then thirdly, Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given over to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave orders. They tried to reward uh, Daniel, but look at verse 30. That same night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was slain. So Darius the Mede received the kingdom at about the age of 62. God is not mocked. There will be payday someday. And this man, in his sinful pride, drank out of the holy vessels of God, and God said, that's enough. Do you know other times in the Bible when God said, that's this far and no further? That's enough. There's going to be a day at the end of time when God says, it's time. He's going to usher in the events that will bring about the end as, of the earth as we know it. It'll be a time when God said, that's enough. That's enough. 
So just always hold on. If it looks like the wicked prosper, they seem to for a little while, but God will always uh, take care. He's going to avenge what is right. He's going to punish what is wrong. So number one, God works his will in his time. Back in Ezra, verse six, please. Now, therefore, Tadani, governor of the province beyond the river, Shethar, Bozani, and your colleagues, the officials of the provinces beyond the river, keep away from there. I wish I could have been there. I'm not really sure I wanted to be there, but it would be kind of cool to be there when they read this letter back to the bad guys. Uh, he reads it back and he says, you officials, you leave those Jews alone. There were five of us children growing up in our family. How many siblings did you have? Were there times when your parents, zero. So you always got everything you wanted and at any time you wanted it. That's good. <coughs> God oftentimes worked through our parents and uh, he would uh, cause things in our household to uh, be made very clear by both my parents. You better leave them alone. Well, he's touching me, riding in the station wagon. He's touching. Does anybody know what a station wagon is? Do you? Okay. He's touching me or so-and-so hit me. And when my dad had enough, my mom had grace. My dad was the law. And it was not good when he had enough. He's stopping the car and things happen when my dad had enough. But it's just like here, leave them alone. And when God says it, isn't it so cool? He says, leave them alone. I think in our country this week, I'm not being political, but I'm being thankful that God said, at least for now, leave those babies in the womb alone. And that's what I pray for, and I'm going to rejoice over that. So he says, uh, keep away from there. Leave this work on the house of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews, elders of the Jews, rebuild this house of God on its side. Notice he's not saying rebuild the house of their God. He says, the house of God. Let it be built on its site in the place that it's supposed to. Moreover, I issue a decree concerning what you are to do for these elders of Judah in the rebuilding of this house of God. The full cost is to be paid to these people from the royal treasury out of the taxes of the provinces beyond the river. You think that you and I get upset with what our tax money pays for. These guys were really upset because their taxes went to fund the temple of the Israelites. God can, uh, who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, God can do anything he wants and he can cause something to happen that the enemy never dreamed of. Make, uh, pay for it out of the taxes, and that, notice what he said at the end of verse 8, without delay, do it now. Whatever's needed, both young bulls, rams, lambs, for a burnt offering to the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, anointing oil, as the priests in Jerusalem request, it is to be given to them daily without fail. Can you imagine these people? I've got to give them some more bulls, and I've got to give them some goats so they can do their sacrifices. And the king says, give it to them every day. Whatever the priests ask, and without fail, don't delay. I love it when God says it's time to take care of a situation. Very, very grateful for the God that wrote in his Bible, if God be for us, who can be against us? So he said that they may offer acceptable sacrifices to the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and his sons. I love that. Darius is saying, and make sure you pray for my family. 
I want you to pray for my family. Darius knows that he is a chosen vessel. He's not a Jew, but he's chosen by God to work on their behalf. And I issued a decree that any man who violates this edict, this is kind of uh, serious, a timber shall be drawn from his house. He shall be impaled on it. His house shall be made a refuse heap. That's a garbage dump on account of this. Did he make it clear? If anybody does not obey my word here, this is what's going to happen to you. May the God, look at this, who has caused his name to dwell there, overthrow any king or people who attempts to change it so as to destroy this house of God in Jerusalem. Is that not amazing? The pagan king prays for God's people that no one could stand against this temple and against the Lord. I, Darius, have issued this decree. Let it be carried out with all diligence. And as that great theologian Larry the Cable guy says, get her done. God's saying, get it done and get it done now. I couldn't wait to get to this part of the book because God's very patient and he lets the, the enemy sometimes look like they get a stronghold. But when God chooses to move, just like he's doing right now, he can cause things to happen very quickly. Number two, I just want you to realize God works his will in believers and unbelievers. This is a pagan king, but he's turned his heart around. Nebuchadnezzar started out being a pagan king, but in the end of his life, he worshiped the God of heaven who sets up over whomever he wills over the kingdoms. Here, Darius, God's doing his will through a pagan king. So God works his will in believers' lives and in unbelievers' lives. He can change them. He can change the way a country thinks, acts. He can change the way politicians. He can change the church. He can change families. People say, well, we've gone through the best days of the United States. Well, what if God says, no, I want to return, rebuild, and restore this country also? Can, can he do that? He can, can he? He can make the best days ahead for our land. Verse 13, Then Tadani, the governor of the province beyond the river, Shethar, Boz, and I, their colleagues, carried out the decree with all diligence. They were afraid of this king, just as King Darius had sent. The elders of the Jews were successful in building through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edo. I want you to notice there, there's not a separation between the church and what was happening among God's people. We separate it in our world. We separate and say you should never talk about anything about government in the church. You never talk about different things. And we separate, and that, that's just not the way God does things. The building of the temple was accomplished with the prophets right there prophesying at the same time the work was going on. They were unified. They were joined together. And it said, uh, they finished building according to the command of the God of Israel, the decree of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. Those three men were used by God to, to finish this work. This temple was completed on the third day of the month, Adar. It was the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. And the sons of Israel, the priests, the Levites, the rest of the exiles celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. Men and women, this says that when God got that work done through his people, he gave them joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. 
and their spirits were lifted up. Can you imagine what it was like when they put that last stone in place? It's finished. Oh, they were excited because they knew that a work of God had taken place there. I've been on the part of a few churches starting, and I tell you what, it's a wonderful thing. Everybody's humble. Everybody's willing to work hard. They want people to be saved. Everybody's praying, and it's a real sweet time. And I think that these people were so excited. The temple is finally dedicated. Sons of Israel, priests, they celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. They offered for the dedication of this temple of God. This is quite an offering, 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 lambs, and as a sin offering for all Israel, 12 male goats corresponded to the number of the tribes of Israel. Then they appointed the priests to their division, the Levites and their orders for the service of God in Jerusalem, as it is written in the book of Moses. You know what they did? They went back to the Bible. They went back and says, priests, get in your place like you're supposed to be. Levites, get to work like God showed us already written in this Old Testament Bible. Restore the temple, restore the offerings. We're going to keep the feast. We're going back to do the will of God. Starting over, I've said it many times, but I'm so grateful we have a God that lets us start over. Where would all of us be here tonight if we didn't? If we, we, the, some of the choices we had made in our life are the final outcome of our life, where would we be? God lets us start over. Can he let a nation start over? He can. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, I'll hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin and I'll heal their land. At what instant God pronounces judgment against a nation, he said, if that nation turn, I'll change and I won't judge them. God's a gracious, gracious God. But they went back to as it is written. They went back to the Bible. And if you ever feel your life and your walk with the Lord waning or, or diminishing, go back to his word. There's power in the word of God. Read it more, memorize it, meditate on it more, and you're going to feel yourself getting stronger. The exiles observed the Passover on the 14th of the first month. The priests and Levites had purified themselves together. All of them were pure. They had followed God's command, slaughtered the Passover lamb for all the exiles, both for their brothers, the priests, for themselves, sons of Israel who turned from exile, and all those who had separated themselves from the impurity of the nations of the land had joined them to seek the Lord God of Israel, ate the Passover, and they observed the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days with joy. In the Scripture, when it talks about the time of Passover, it can talk about one day, the day that they eat the Passover meal. But it also can talk about eight days, a whole week of the meal and all the, the, the uh, uh, feast, the, the celebration of that whole week. And they're talking about here, for seven days they kept it with joy. For the Lord had caused them to rejoice and had turned what? He turned the heart of the king of Assyria toward them to encourage them in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. There's not a person on this planet that God cannot change their mind and change their heart. Have you prayed for the enemies? Have you prayed for your enemies lately? Have you prayed for the enemies of God lately? Uh, I wonder if somebody prayed for Paul before he went to Damascus that day. 
We need to pray, God, would you pull some of those people that are not walking with you, pull them out of that darkness and let them come to know Jesus and let them be like the Apostle Paul. That, that one that he had persecuted, now he preached that same one wherever he went. So God works his will in his time. God works his will in believers and unbelievers. He can use both of them. And then I want you to notice also, God is in control of all nations and governments. He can turn a king's heart. He can turn a prime minister's heart. He can turn a president's heart. He can turn uh, a court, lawmakers, legislators, uh, house of representatives. He can turn anyone. God is in control of all nations and governments. He said he turned the heart of the king of Assyria toward them to encourage them in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. I love when God wins. He's always going to win. may take a little while in his time, but he's always, always going to win. I want to just for a few seconds talk to you. Uh, can a nation be given a new birth of freedom? We saw here tonight in this passage, a nation got to start over. God's chosen people, and they got to have their temple given back to them. They got to have their land given back to them. Their, their church that we would call it today given back to them. And they got to start over to return, restore, and rebuild. I hear a lot of things that are negative about our country and the countries around the world. But the Bible teaches us, just as these people here, that uh, wherever they were exiled, God said, when you are taken to another town, another city, you Jewish people, you seek the peace of the people of that land. When Joshua, uh, when, when, excuse me, Joseph was taken to Egypt, did he seek the peace of Egypt? He did. And God blessed all of Egypt because of Joseph. When uh, Jacob was, was with Laban in that land, did God bless Laban, his, his father-in-law, because of Jacob being there? He did, didn't he? And you and I ought to be the best citizens of the town. We, our neighborhoods ought to be the, the, known that we live there. Uh, they they want, ought to want Christians to be living next door to them because we ought to be the best citizens of our land. But when I think about this time coming up that we'll celebrate um, the Independence Day, I hope you and your family can be together and you can have a time uh, friends, and we can just be grateful. I'd ask you to say a prayer, and Lord, thank you for the good things about America. Thank you for the good things about this land. Can a nation be given a new birth of freedom? Just a little over a year ago, I stood in the Gettysburg Cemetery in Pennsylvania. Beautiful place, green grass, headstones there, small place, huge trees. And it was the exact place where Abraham Lincoln gave his Gettysburg Address. Um, it's interesting, before President Lincoln gave that speech, another man who was known to be a great orator gave a speech, and it was two hours long. Does anybody remember his name? No. I've got it written down or I wouldn't know. Do you remember what he said? No. Abraham Lincoln spoke for two minutes, 272 words, November 19th, 1863, and we remember every one of his words because God was giving a start over for the United States. 
And I just want to remind you a little bit. That man's name was Ed, Edward Everett. He was a former dean of Harvard University and uh, one of the most famous speakers of the day, and we don't even remember anything he said. But after he spoke for two hours, Abraham Lincoln, our president, got up and he spoke 272 words. It starts like this. Four score and seven years ago, if you remember learning that in school, would you raise your hand? Everyone over 40 does. <laughs> and er, we put on the brakes after that. No, some, some of you do. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. That's how it started. And all men are created by our creator. None of us are any better than anyone else. Uh, I'm reminded that American Indians, black, white, Hispanic, uh, yellow-skinned, every kind of race have fought in our military, and they all shed red blood for this land. For you now to be able to hold this Bible here tonight, people of all races, all skin color, all language, all ethnicities, they fought wars on behalf of this country to stop people who are telling us we can't have this Bible. They all shed red blood. The Bible says God's made all men of all nations out of one blood. We truly are brothers and sisters. In the church, we ought to be the greatest example of that. Have you read the, in Revelation? And I saw a great scene in heaven. There were people from all nations, tribes, tongues. Heaven is going to be full of people from everywhere around the world. We're going to all have one thing in common, and that's our love for Jesus and what he's done for us. You remember how that speech, 270 words, ended? He said that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom. Could we have a new birth of freedom again? We can. And that the government of the people by the people and for the people shall not perish from this earth. Be grateful for the good things about the United States as we celebrate with family and friends in the coming days. Talk with somebody that didn't grow up here. Let, that, let their perspective remind you of the blessings that we've known all of our lives. And be grateful for a God who looks at people everywhere across the world the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking to show himself strong on behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. God literally is looking all over the world to see who's looking up to him so he can bless them. We've got a good, good father. It ought to be a song, Joe. Good, good father. Pray for this wonderful country. Because just like Israel, God got it done. Uh, they returned, they restored, and they rebuilt. We're going to have communion tonight, and none of this could happen for Israel, except God do it. None of this could happen for America, except God do it. None of this could happen for any nation around the world where people long to be free 
They long to love and to be good citizens of that land. It couldn't happen anywhere except because of what God does for us. And as we follow Jesus' example and his teaching, we're going to share in this great time that Jesus said, as often as you do this, remember me. And he said two things, remember my death, looking back at the cross till I come, looking forward to him coming back. If you've not received one of these, would you raise your hand and let our servants come bring you one, please? Let's go back to Jerusalem a little over 2,000 years ago. Jesus, knowing that he had a few hours to live, brought his disciples together in a place called the upper room. We're not really sure where that was. And he told them that I will not eat, drink of the fruit of this vine again until I drink it new with you in God's kingdom. He's saying this is the last meal that we're going to have together, Peter and James and John. Jesus knew he was about to go to the cross. The apostles didn't know it. God's love, Jesus' love for them is preparing them for what they were about to go through. He had taught them in his doctrine that he was going to be the sacrifice. He was going to give his life. They didn't understand what that meant. They didn't know what going to Jerusalem was going to be about, and they didn't, certainly didn't know that he was going to die on a cross. But that night, Jesus ate the last supper. It's really not the last supper. Did you know that? It's the Lord's Supper. Because there's going to be another one in heaven. So he ate the Lord's Supper with his apostles. And you and I, a little over 2,000 years later, join with them, just like we were sitting with them, and remember the words of Jesus. Through the Apostle Paul, he writes in the book of Corinthians, as we come to this table, let a person examine their own heart. We're going to have a few moments of silent prayer. And as Tony plays uh, softly that piano, would you just ask God to make sure your heart's ready for communion? It's not ready because of what you've done or you earned it. It's not any of those things. Just make sure you love Jesus You've asked him to wash you and make you clean and just bless this cup and this bread tonight, and he'll do that for all of us. Prepare your heart, examine your heart as we come to the communion table. Let's take a few moments of silent prayer, and then I will pray.